0: book of Luke, and let's, let's read together the Christmas story out of Luke's Gospel. And today we're going to finish the series I began a few weeks ago. I guess uh, this will be our third or fourth segment. We've been talking about the when, the what, the how, and the why of God. Today we're going to talk about the why of God. Let's read Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. "...and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold... I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let me read that last verse to you one more time. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The why of God. We, we often ask, and, and I think it's fair for us to say today, in light of the recent events that have taken place, there are a lot of people asking why. We have talked about the when of God. God's time is not based on our timetable, it's based on His. Or the what of God. What God does is not what we would do, necessarily. Or the how. Now think about this. We just read the Christmas story. And think about how this Savior came into the world. And we talked a little bit about that last week. The the nature of His birth, or the things surrounding His birth. Here is the King of kings, the one who would... Conquer nations and dethrone kings and world powers. And how did he come into the world? He came into the world in the most unassuming way possible. He was given the most common name among children of that day. Born to the poorest of the poor. Laid in a manger because there was no place for him indoors. He did have angels giving him a fanfare and heralding his coming, but they didn't go to the powers of the world. They didn't go to the rich and famous. They went to the most lowly and the poorest of the poor, the most, listen, uh, an occupation that was not highly regarded. They went to shepherds in their fields keeping the flock, and they announced the coming of the king. And they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Why? Because this night a Savior is born. A Savior is born. And His name is Jesus. And the why of God is not driven by our will and our desire, but His. God didn't come just at any time, He came Paul says, when the fullness of the time had come. Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the world, the one who ruled the greatest empire on the face of the earth, called for a census so that they could more accurately tax and more accurately get a handle on things in the kingdom. Why did he do that? Because God said it's time for you to order a census. Why? Because God says this is the time. This is when my son shall be born into this earth. This is when my son shall become flesh and dwell among men. The ruler of that world, the ruler of that empire had no clue that his very order for a census was bringing about the fulfillment of what God had ordained. Because God says, now is the time. This is why there's going to be a census. It's not for the Roman Empire. It's for my kingdom. It's easy for us now 2,000 years on the other side of that event, having read and studied our Bibles and sat in church and heard sermons and things about this to say, yeah, that was all God's plan after all. But in the midst of it, when Joseph and Mary, because of the Roman Empire and its tyranny, are riding a donkey to Bethlehem because that's where he's got to go because that's what the empire said. And she is full with child. I bet it was not. Now, I've never been pregnant, but ladies, you tell me what it would be like riding on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant going to Bethlehem. And you get there only to find out not only is there not a four-star, five-star hotel for you, you got a cave probably with some fresh hay, that's about as good as it gets. And that's where you're going to have your baby, your firstborn. Not just any baby, but this is the baby that the angel came to me and said, this is the Son of God. You'd think God could have arranged at least a room, but He didn't. Why? Because the why of God is not our why. How would you have made preparation for the birth of the Savior? Would you have said, sorry, parents of the Savior, uh, all I've got back here is a cave for you, and oh, I'll throw in some fresh straw, and I won't charge you. You wouldn't have done that. You'd have moved your family out and put him in the master bedroom, right? I mean, this is the Savior of the world fixing to be born here. It's easy for us to look back now and say, this is how I would have done it, or this is how or why, or what, or when, because we know the story. But in the midst of it, God had a reason for everything. Just like God has a reason for everything right now. The plan and the purpose of God is not stopped. It didn't stop when Jesus was born. It didn't stop when Jesus was crucified. It didn't stop when He was resurrected. It continues on. And here's here's the amazing thing. We all are part of it by the grace of God. So the why of God is not driven by our will or our desire, but by His. And when Paul writes these words, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law, to redeem those. To redeem. This is the why. Why? This is why God sent Jesus into the world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Why did God come to be with us? Very simply, He came to redeem. He came to redeem us. John writes this in his gospel. John reveals the why of God to us in the beginning of his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 11, he says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who are born of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I tell you truly, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. John writes these words, Those who believe in His name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. There in that manger, that little baby was the Word that became flesh. Did the world see His glory? Most of the world didn't see it. To most people, he was just another baby. But to those who had eyes to see, we know there were those who had eyes to see. There were shepherds. There was Anna and Simeon in the temple who had waited all of their lives to see the Savior. And when the baby Jesus was carried in the arms of his mother Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple to fulfill what the law said... There is Simeon, and here is Anna, and they saw that baby. Can you imagine how many babies must have been in the temple that day? Their parents bringing them to fulfill the law, to present them to God? Jesus wasn't the only baby in the temple that day, but He was the only Savior in the temple that day. And Anna and Simeon had eyes to see, and when they saw the baby Jesus, they knew, they saw the glory of God. It was God's will to redeem you and to redeem me. It wasn't my will, it was His will. He didn't come because we willed to be redeemed, but because He willed it. The why of God was initiated by God Himself. Think about this, in the eternal counsel of the Godhead. This is why He is called the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the world. Listen, Christian, the cross was not plan B. It was not God's next best plan because man screwed things up. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. God has a plan. God has always had a plan. God has a purpose now in everything. He has always had a purpose in everything. Do you trust Him? That is the question. Do you trust His plan and do you trust His Do you trust the why of God? Do you trust why God does what He does the way He does it? Even when it is totally and completely contrary to why or how or when or what you would do. Jesus Himself declares the why of God in John 3, 17. Let's, Let's read that together. John 3, 17. Jesus says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I always like to point this out. If you've got a Bible translation that says, Might be saved. That word might really is not in the original language. And that word might, translated there, written there, doesn't mean the way we might say might. Might. I might go shopping today, means I might or I might not. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, Jesus is saying, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved, should be saved, might be saved. In other words, he's going to get the job done. There's not a question of whether he will or whether he will not. Why did Jesus come? He came to save. He came to redeem. Do we need a redeemer? We need a redeemer. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have Together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Why would God send his son to save a group of people like that? Why? Well, because he's God. Would you send your only son to save a group of people that are totally and completely undeserving? Not only are they undeserving, but they're not looking for you. As a matter of fact, We'll read in just a minute where they're called your enemies. Would you send your son to die for your enemies? I mean, the Bible answers that. Scarcely would a man send someone to die for someone who's good. But for your enemies, this is what Paul writes, but yet God didn't just send his son to die for those who are good. He sent his son to die for sinners, even while those sinners were his enemies. The why of God is not like ours. Why God does things is not for the same reason that we would do things. Or Jesus in John 3:19, we could go on from, from verse 17 there, and it says, "And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. But even though men love darkness, guess what? The light came. The light came in spite of the fact that men. Love darkness. The good news is that God wills and God desires to redeem us for His glory. And that's why He came to us. That is the why of God. To redeem. To redeem us. To save us. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9, Paul declares this that while we were dead, He made us alive. And he raised us up. While you and while I were dead in our sins, God made us alive. And he raised us up. Why? To redeem us, to reconcile us, to save us, to make us his children. To give you the adoption as sons. To give you, as Jesus said, or as John says, the right to become the children of God. As believers, we have this assurance that God's will is to redeem. He redeems us and gives us the adoption as sons in and through the events that mold and shape our lives. Now think about this. How was Jesus born? What were the circumstances surrounding His birth, surrounding His life? The most powerful, and to that time, oppressive empire in world history, this is what Jesus was born under. Remember the vision in Daniel? You read the book of Daniel, and Daniel saw these visions of these, these four beasts, and then he sees this one vision. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He sees this, this terrible beast that's got a head of gold and chest and silver, and, and he's got a stomach and and thighs of bronze, but, but then his legs are iron and clay mixed together. He's like, what in the world does this mean? And Daniel says it's four kingdoms. We know that last kingdom, again in another vision, this terrible beast, it was called the beast. Daniel, it's what Daniel referred to it as, I saw this beast coming up out of the sea. And he, it's horrible. It just trampled on everything. It crushed everything under its feet. This is what Jesus was born into. This is what Jesus was born under. Why? Because that's the way God purposed it to be done. And though He was born under that, to the untrained eye, you would think nothing significant is happening, just another baby is born. But if we trust God in His plan and in His purpose, we have to see something much Greater than just another baby. This is, going back to Daniel's vision, this is the rock that was cut out that would grow into a mountain and fill all the earth. This is the unshakable kingdom of God coming to pass. But when you're in the midst of it, it's difficult to see. Do you know that the unshakable kingdom of God is still coming to pass, it's still growing before your very eyes, the question is, can you see it? When we see the horrible events of last week, and, and, and it seems like a nation has is, is just gone hysterically crazy, because of all the things that continue to happen that are so horrible, yes, they are horrible, but, but are we a people that can see beyond the horror and beyond the tragedy, and know that there is still an unshakable kingdom. There is the rock that is growing and growing and growing, and it is filling the entire earth. And this is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Is your faith unshakable? Is your faith in the god who does things in a way that you would not do them when the prophet isaiah wrote these words and he says your ways are higher than my ways your thoughts are higher than my thoughts is that just nice prophetic poetic language or do we really understand that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts his ways are higher than our ways his what his how his when, his why is not like ours. It's not. So are we going to trust in ours? or Are we going to defer and trust in him? But Pastor Jeff, it looks like everything is just flying apart at the seams in this nation. Are you going to look at what seems to be? Are you going to trust in what is absolutely certain? Heaven and earth will pass away. That means this nation may pass away. But My word, Jesus said, will never pass away. Are you people of the word? Are you children of God, born by the word of God, by the spirit of God, not of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of blood, but born from above, born of God? Is your faith in him or in what we can see? The why of God is not like ours. So we have this assurance that God came to redeem us. And in redeeming us, that means He redeems the events surrounding our lives. If we if we could just chronicle in a moment all of the unique events represented in just in this room right here. All of the things that you have experienced in your life or the things that you've experienced that surrounding your life with your loved ones your family, your friends, the things that have touched your life, the good, the bad, the ugly. Can you, I mean, it's a, it, it would be amazing to think about, to read about. And I would venture to say that many of those things that you could recall or you could recount would not be pleasant things. Well, what do we do with those events of our life that may not be pleasant do we just pretend like they don't exist? Do we just, do we just say, well, you know, I'm just going to push that aside and pretend like that didn't happen? A lot of people live like that. But eventually, that, that doesn't work. Eventually, we've got to do something with what becomes our life and the things that make up our life. Let's go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. How does God redeem us? Remember, this is the why of God. The why of God is to redeem. Why did Jesus come? He came to redeem. What does that mean for us? Does that mean we're just that one day when we die we're going to get to go to heaven or do we need to understand that in a greater way in a deeper way that helps us walk through this life this journey have you guys ever taken a long hike you know last time we got to go up to Colorado and we we hiked in the mountains you hike down and you hike up, you hike down. You, you go on a long hike, a long journey. You can go through lots of different things. That's kind of the way life is. It's not all uniform. It's not all the same. It's, it's varied. It's diverse. Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Well, that's weird. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. I don't think glorying in tribulation is necessarily the same thing as, as I'm just really looking forward to some tribulation in my life. Tribulation's not necessarily a pleasant thing, but there's a difference between tribulation that's pre- pleasant and tribulation that is glorious. Mary's journey to Bethlehem, I don't think was pleasant, but it was glorious. Because the result of that journey brought us a Savior born in the city of David. And we all look back now and we don't don't know the intimate details of the hardship that Mary and Joseph went through to make that journey We just know the glory of it. and So Paul writes these words. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for me, for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. This is why Jesus came, to redeem us. And so we see that Christ died for us while we were sinners and enemies, but, but before that it reveals that God uses the very events of our life are you listening to me, church? Even the hard ones. And works them together to produce in us a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How can the love of God being poured out in my heart, how can that give me hope that does not disappoint? Life is full of disappointments. How can I have a hope that does not disappoint. A hope that does not disappoint doesn't mean that we, don't, that, that we live a life free of disappointment. Do you understand that? I mean, I really wanted... You know, I just wish that I could eat all of the homemade ice cream that Joshua makes. Just not, not just guilt-free. I don't care about my weight. It's my blood sugar that I'm worried about. So I just can't eat. Snap. What's that called? Oh snap! Man, he made some ice cream last night. Called oh snap, man, it is so good. You know, I only got to eat two little scoops. I was so disappointed. I wanted to eat a lot more. Now you know I'm making light there. Life is full of disappointment, but listen, we have a hope in Christ. We have a hope that does not. Disappoint When we go through trial and tribulation, listen, the question, when we look at our situation, we shouldn't wonder why. Listen, in the midst of our situation, we should know why. Know the why of God. God came to redeem us. That in spite of my situation, in spite of the circumstances all around us, we need to know this, and we need to have this hope, and this hope will not disappoint, that God came to redeem, and He is a Redeemer. And He does redeem, and He will redeem not only us, but He redeems the events surrounding our life, even the events that make up our life. The things in and around our lives are the things that that make up our life. I want you to think about this. He redeems all things. You know, I want you to think of a, of a tapestry. You know what a tapestry is? It's, it's, like a, it's like a woven wall hanging. Or a rug. Or we, we would say a quilt. Let's think of a quilt. I've got one of my grandmother's quilts hanging in my dining room, and it's a series of squares. And it's, this quilt is made entirely of the old dresses that the little kids wore. When they'd wear the dress out, they cut the fabric from the dress, and they made, this quilt is made from... I mean, these are dresses going back to around the turn of the last century. My mom was one of the young ones, and she was born in 1922. So, you know, these are old dresses. So they took these dresses and made these squares out of old dresses, but they put all these squares together and made this huge quilt. That's kind of the way our life works. Your life represents just a a patch, a piece. And, And all of us might represent a square, And God is weaving together and putting together this grand tapestry that's going to be beautiful and glorious to behold. And He weaves them into the tapestry. It's called our life. A tapestry that's part of His greater work and His greater glory. Now I want you to think about this. He weaves darkness and light together, revealing for us the sovereign beauty of His glory and His grace. And we can't see how that works together sometimes we're in the midst of it. I bet you Mary had a hard time understanding how this was all going to work together when she's riding on that donkey to Bethlehem, suffering because she's nine months pregnant. But yet, we read it now and it's glorious. We read it now and it brings hope. To us because we see that God works in a way that we wouldn't necessarily work in. He works in a time that we wouldn't necessarily work in. And his reasons are are often not the same reasons we have. They're much higher. Much beyond our reasoning. So he weaves darkness and light together and he reveals his sovereign beauty. This is the promise to those who believe that all things work together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 We may often be left with the question why but we can always know that the why of God is performing a work of redemption in our lives through our lives and around our lives. That this is the why of God. He came To redeem us, and that he works all things together for good and for his glory in Christ. This is the why of God to redeem us as sons and daughters and to work all things for his glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is working all things for his glory? I didn't ask you if you understand how he's working all things for his glory. I said, do you believe that he is working all things for his glory? He is. We can look at situations. We can look at the school shooting in Connecticut and say, how in the world can God work that for his glory? I I don't have a clue. I don't have the answer to that. But this is what I know, and I am firm In my conviction, and I have no doubt whatsoever that God is working all things for His glory. He is. This is His will, this is His desire, and so this is His glory and His grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us fight the temptation to be consumed with our own. When, our own what, our own how, and our own why. Lord, we pray that you would consume us with yours. That God, we would defer to your plan and your purpose. And Lord, instead of wondering why, God, we would just know why you have done all that you have done. You have done it to redeem us. And you have done it for your glory. Help us to know that your will and your ways, Lord, are the only ones. Help us, Lord, so that your will and your ways would become our own and that in you we would find our greatest source of unending pleasure and joy. Psalm 1611 declares, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We thank you, Father, that we do not have to wait until we die to enter into your presence. Lord, if we are in Christ, we are in your presence, and you have already given to us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Father, help us to have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, hearts and minds to receive it, and that we would live in it, and that your joy in us would be full. And it would all be to your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. God is good, amen. Can we just do this? There's a lot of people.